In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Let's read from 2 Samuel chapter 12. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I give you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin, you shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Glory to the Holy Trinity, now and forever, unto the age of ages. Amen. I'm sure all of you are aware of David's sin when actually he committed adultery with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, while Uriah at that time was in the war fighting for Israel. And then in order to cover his sin, David actually killed Uriah in the war. This sin made David cry and weep maybe the rest of his life. 
And because of this sin, he composed Psalm 50. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your great mercy. Because of this sin, he said, my sin always before me or at all times before me. But as St. Paul said, what is written in the Old Testament is written for our edification. So there are many lessons for us from this story. We try to see what are the lessons, not only from David's sin and his repentance, but also from the rebuke that Nathan gave to David because of his sin. The first lesson, David was blind completely to his sin. He killed, he committed adultery, but he was blind completely to his sin. And in spite of his blindness to his own sin, he got so angry when Nathan told him about the story of the rich man who took the lamb of the poor man. I'm sure you understand this was not a true story, but how a prophet confront a king. And at that time, if the king said, kill him, he will be killed without trial even. You can read this a lot in the history of the Old Testament. Just once the king say, kill this man, he is killed. So it was a challenge for Nathan to confront David. That's why he made up this story about the rich man and the poor man. The rich man symbolizes David, the poor man symbolizes Uriah. And in this symbolic story, although all what the rich man did, just he took a lamb or the lamb of the poor man, nothing more. It is not comparable to what David did, adultery and murder. But you can see how David was very, very angry and he said, as the Lord lives, this man shall surely die. He was not aware of his sin until Nathan told him, you are the man. Here, the eyes of David were open. Many times, many times, we are like David. We can see the speck in others' eye, while there is a beam in my own eyes and I don't see it. That's why the Lord, when he spoke to us about the sin of judgment, he said, before you try to remove the speck from your brother's eye, remove the beam from your own eye. What David did was like a beam, adultery and murder. And what this rich man in this symbolic story did was like a speck. But David was able to see the speck while he was blind to his own being. Why many times we are blind to our own sins? What are the causes of blindness to our own sins? Many of us, because of our strong desires for sin, or because we love certain sins in our life, that's why we don't make a clear distinction between right and wrong. For example, before marriage, we allow ourselves to do many things under the title of dating, and we try to justify it. 
and we don't see anything wrong in it and gradually gradually we become blind even the world around us doesn't call sexual immorality fornication before marriage but they call it premarital sex and for some of us as long as we don't lose our virginity but we can do everything else as long as we didn't do this complete act we are okay hugging, kissing, whatever sometimes we change our conviction and we change the definition of sin because of our desire to sin that's exactly what happened with David he didn't see he did anything wrong at all his conscience was clear he had peace in his conscience regarding what happened another example we used to be modest in our apparel but now actually the definition of modesty is unclear and many unfortunately many Christian allow themselves to be immodest in their apparel and the definition of modesty start to change in order to satisfy our desires the standards of the world became our standards the standards of the world became our standards also we refuse to apply the principle of the scripture to moral nature of our conduct for example we adopt principles and defend the immoral principle of the world just to be conformed to this world many of the youth defend the LGBTQ under the principle of freedom I heard many youth saying yes I know it's wrong but let them actually have their freedom if they want to get married let us legalize marriage for them nothing wrong with this not knowing this will actually affect us and affect our children in the future but now we became desensitized to the sins became more neutral to the sins and we don't apply the biblical principle or the principle of the scripture and sometimes in order to be accepted or to fit in this society we speak their language we talk like them we conduct ourselves like them I hear many times when there is like chat groups among the youth they use very very bad language that is not actually suitable for the children of God but we are adapting the negatives of this culture and become our principle and because actually we are often blind to our own faults God sent us Nathan or somebody to rebuke us it can be friends can be parents can be Sunday school servants can be Abuna these people are sent by God as God sent Nathan to David God sent each one of us 
another nafan to rebuke us when we are blind to our own sins. If you try to analyze nafan, what he did, it is out of care. He cared enough about David to bring his fault to his attention. Although, as I told you, King David, yani he took a risk. If King David got angry and he said, kill him, he would have been killed. So he took the risk, but he went and confronted David. That's why Nathan here was courageous enough to challenge the conduct of King David. We didn't hear a lot about Nathan the prophet. So he was not a famous prophet. And I want to compare between David and King Herod. God sent Nathan to rebuke David. And God sent John the Baptist to rebuke King Herod. And John the Baptist was famous. People knew him. Even the Bible says about Herod, he used to listen to John the Baptist. And he respected him, knowing that he is righteous and a saint. So Herod knew that John the Baptist is righteous man and saint, prophet from God. How David responded to the rebuke of Nathan? David actually accepted. He did not find any excuse. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. Yes, he was blind, but once Nathan brought this to his attention, he took immediate responsibility. He was not blind to see his fault when Nathan actually brought it to his attention. But King Herod killed John the Baptist. And many times when somebody comes to rebuke me, we kill this person, not literally but by pushing him away from our life. For example, if my father of confession rebuked me for a sin and told me you are the man, first thing, I want to change my father of confession. Let me find another priest. If my Sunday school servant here rebuked me for something wrong I did, my reaction would be either I'm not going to attend the youth meeting anymore, I'm not going to go to church anymore, or I will see another church. We see, for example, in youth conventions, when there is improper behavior and we bring it to the attention of the youth, they got mad, they got upset, they got angry. They don't take constructive criticism well. So here the question to you, are you like Herod or David? Herod perished, but David was saved. And until now, when we read from the Psalms of David, David in the liturgy, we say, from the son of our teacher, David, the pure prophet. And we call him pure, because with repentance, he became pure in front of God again. We need to be thankful for every Nathan that God is sending us. Many of us, when parents rebuke us, or telling us, I don't agree, you stay until two or three in the morning out, you need to come early. So how I reacted to this, instead of thanking God that I have parents who care about me, no, I wanna move out. I want to live by myself. 
because I don't want anybody to tell me what's right and what's wrong. Let us reflect a little bit about the rebuke of Nathan. How Nathan led David to repentance? Number one, he reminded David with the love of God. He told him, of course, the words of Nathan were the words of God to David. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. And he reminded him with the love of God. God is saying to David, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I give your master, master's house and your master's wives into your keeping. I give you the house of Israel and Judah. And listen to this verse. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. If all what I gave you was little in your eye, I was willing to give you much more. Why after I give you all these blessings, why you disobeyed the commandment of God? He started by appealing to the love of God and the mercy of God. And actually, St. Paul in his letters and St. Peter in his letters, there are many examples. Before he speak to people about repentance, they appeal to God's love and God's mercy. For example, just I will give you one example only. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? So St. Paul here is reminding them with the goodness of God, the forbearance of God, the long-suffering of God, and he's telling them this love, this mercy, this goodness, this forbearance, this long-suffering. Why? To lead you to repentance. To lead you to repentance. Either I am trying to bring my soul to repentance or help somebody else to repent, we need actually to appeal to God's love, to remind ourselves with the love of God toward me, or if I'm speaking to somebody trying to bring him to repentance, I remind him with God's love. So number one, Nathan appealed to God's love. Number two, Nathan revealed the sin to David. Nathan was very clear in telling David what he did wrong. was very clear. In a similar way, the gospel makes it clear that we are all sinners. Nobody will repent unless he admits he is sinner. That's why I need to see my sins, or if I'm trying to bring somebody else to repentance, he needs to see his sin. He said to David, you killed Uriah the Hittite and you took his wife to be your wife. He mentioned the sin very clear. He mentioned the sin very clear without labeling David. He did not label him as a murderer. He did not label him as adulterer. 
but he just mentioned what he did. There is big difference between you say to another person, you lied in this story, or you cursed, or you tell him you are a liar. When you tell a person you are a liar, you are labeling him. Nathan never said to David, you are adulterer, or you are murderer. But he described the action very, very clear. In the same way, I will never repent unless I admit that I am a sinner. Even in treatment of addiction, unless the person admits he has a problem, I am addict, he will never be treated. And that's why in treatment of addiction, they make them say, I am addict. Because this acknowledgement that I need treatment, I need help, will help them to overcome this sin. So number one, appealing to God's love. Number two, revealing the sin. Sometimes we know that we are sinners. I know very well that I do this and this and this, and these are sins. So what do I need to repent? I know that God loves me, and I know I'm a sinner. The third thing that Nathan mentioned to David, the consequences of his sins. Sometimes if I don't repent because the fear of God or the love of God, maybe I need to know what are the consequences of my sins if I don't repent. And that's what Nathan said to David. What will happen to him if he did not repent? He told him, the sword will not leave your house. As you did this with the wife of Uriah, this will happen also to your wives. You did it secretly, but it will done openly. And the son will die. So he told him clearly the consequences of his sins. In his book, Life of Repentance and Purity, His Holiness Pope Shenouda of the Blessed Memory, start the book by the consequences of our sins. Why? Sometimes when we know the consequences of our sins, maybe this warning will make us repent. Because Satan will tell you, no, you shall surely not die. There is no consequences for your sin. As he said to our mother Eve, God said to Eve and to Adam, if you eat from this tree, you shall surely die. Satan said to them, no, you shall surely not die. Many times you say, nothing, no. I am falling in this sin and nothing happened to me. So there is no consequences. That's why St. Paul said, are you despising the long suffering and the goodness and the patience and the forbearance of God? Not knowing that his goodness should lead you to repentance? As there are warnings of the consequences of our sins, the Bible also has good news. The word gospel means good news. What are the good news? When we repent, all our sins will be forgiven. God came to carry our sins and to die for our sins. So regardless, what are your sins? If you repent and return to God, all your sins will be forgiven. So you need to keep the balance between the two. 
if you are focusing only on the consequences of sin, maybe you will fall in despair. If you are focusing only on the mercies of God and that your sins is forgiven because Christ died on the cross for your sins, maybe you will fall in just negligence. Okay, nothing big deal. I will go to Abuna, confess my sins. Abuna will praise the absolution. I will take communion. My sins are forgiven. No, it's not like this. You need to keep the balance between the consequences of sin and the salvation that God granted us on the wood of the cross. Nathan rebuke involved these three things. Appeal to the love of God, revealing the sin of David, and explaining to him the consequences of his sin. Then, the repentance of David. The repentance of David is a very good example to how we should repent. Number one, David made it personal. He said, I have sinned. He took responsibility. He didn't try to place the blame on Bathsheba or the circumstances. He did not say, yes, I sinned, but she seduced me. I sinned, but the circumstances, I was under pressure because of the war, I felt depressed, so I was looking for any kind of pleasure, etc. He did not mention any excuse. Sometimes when, for example, in, in our confession, we say, yes, I sinned, but, once you say, I sinned, but, there is excuses. Your repentance will not be serious. David, he did not say anything. He said, I have sinned. I have sinned, period. I'm taking full responsibility for my sin. Because once you find excuses, this means you are saying, as long as these excuses are there, then I will continue in this sin. I am angry because, means, as long as the reasons of my anger exist, I will continue to be angry. So there is no serious repentance here. And David actually did not try to spread the guilt to others. He did not say, it is Yoab, the head of the army, who killed Uriah, not me. Even if I said to Yoab, put him in the front, he could tell me no. And Yoab several times disagreed with me. He could argue it. If you want to argue, he could have argued, but he did not. He took full responsibility for his sin. And also, I want you to see the true nature of his guilt. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. Because any sin, any sin, when you lie to your brother, it is sin against God. We should know this. Any sin we commit, it is against God. That's why Joseph, when he was tempted by his master's wife, what did he say? How can I commit this great wickedness and sin against God? Because any sin is transgression to the commandment of God. So when I sin, I sin against God, not against people. Yes, David's sin was against Bathsheba was against Uriah, was against his own wife, David's wife. 
But true repentance comes from an understanding that any sin is not just a violation to human relationship, but more importantly, it is transgression against God, who created all of us in His image. That's why in Psalm 50, and I told you he composed this psalm after his fall in this sin. What did he say? He said, against you, you only have I sinned. Against you, you only have I sinned. Because any sin toward others, it's toward people who are created in the image of God. So in a way, this sin is against God. Let us look at our repentance right now. Many times, we don't take personal responsibility. For example, if Abuna says to somebody, why you are doing this? What is the answer? Most of us who are doing this. Instead of saying, I have sinned, as if you are saying, we have sinned, all of us we have sinned. Now it is a common attitude. If we say, I have sinned, Usually, usually, after this, there is an excuse, explanation, why I committed this sin. And many times, we don't think that our sins is against God. That's why our repentance is shallow. And many times, we change our attitude to satisfy men, not to satisfy God. For example, we obey in the presence of Abuna or in the presence of our servant. But in his absence, we don't obey. That's why in the church, maybe you have one attitude, but outside the church, you have another attitude. If I know that my sin is against God, my conduct will not be different outside the church from in the church. Because God is in the church and God is also outside the church. If I am following certain behavior inside the church, but I'm behaving differently outside the church, as if saying God is not there, or the sin is against men, not against God. That's why I need the approval of people in the church, or I need the approval of my parents, or my abuna, or my servants. But if I feel the sin is against God, my behavior will not change, either I am in the church, or outside the church. Let me give you another example how we feel our sins is not against God. If Abuna, for example, or your Sunday school servant told you why you are not attending the youth meeting, why you are not attending the church, why you are not attending the liturgy, etc. So usually our answer is, you know, yes, I am falling short in attending the youth meeting. I'm falling short in attending the liturgies. So as if I'm saying, I sinned against the church, I will try to do better. And when I'm trying to do better, all my concern is to be faithful in the eyes of the church. Maybe I will try to be consistent in the youth meeting or be consistent in attending the liturgy, but my behavior, there is no transformation in my life. Just I, I want to satisfy the requirement of Abuna or some school servant, what they told me about. That's why we're correcting our conduct in order for the church 
to see me. But if I know that my sin is against God, I will be more concerned to be faithful in the eyes of God. Whether I am alone in my room, nobody is seeing me, or I am in the church, or in the school, or in work, or anything. I will correct my conduct before the Lord, not before others. We spoke about the blindness of David. We spoke about the rebuke of Nathan. We spoke about the repentance of David. Then let's speak about the forgiveness of God. Number one, we spoke about the blindness of David. Number two, about the rebuke of Nathan. Number three, the repentance of David. Number four, about the forgiveness of God. The forgiveness of God was immediate. Immediate. When David said, I've sinned against God, Nathan told him immediately, and the Lord put away your sin. When we confess our sins, and Abuna prays absolution, and says, may the Lord forgive you, be sure that your sins are forgiven immediately. God is faithful. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. Of course, if our repentance is genuine, if our repentance is genuine like David, then the forgiveness will be immediate. And the forgiveness will be complete. The word put away your sin. What does it mean put away? In Arabic, نقل. put away. And the sin was taken from David and placed somewhere else. Placed where? Placed on Christ. Because he is the Lamb of God who carries our sins. So Nathan, in a prophetic way, he spoke about the sacrifice of Christ. By saying he put away, he transferred your sin. So the sin was removed from David and placed on the Lord Jesus Christ. So when he died on the cross, he died for David's sin, for my sins, for your sins, for the world's sins. As Pope Shinodi used to say, he died for all sins, to all people in all ages. He died for all the sins of all the people in all ages. I want you to know when you repent genuinely and you confess your sins, your sins will be forgiven immediately and completely. God said, I will remember your sins no more, as if you did not commit them, as if it never happened at all. And as I explained, this forgiveness is only possible through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and carried our sins in his body on the cross. You may ask, but the discipline for David continued. Why if God forgave him his sins, he still was disciplined? Yes, I want to tell you, with the forgiveness of our sins, maybe some discipline will continue. And the purpose of this discipline is to remind us that we are sinners, so we'll be careful in the future. We will not fall again in, 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 in the future. But God doesn't discipline us for every little sin. Many sins, God does not discipline us for them. And the discipline of the Lord is therapeutic, protective. 
the purpose of it is to protect me from falling again in sin. Although David's sin was forgiven, but some consequences continued. The baby died, the sword did not depart from David's house. Absalom, for example, killed Amnon, his brother. Also, what happened with Bathsheba happened with the concubines of David. Maybe a person is addicted to alcohol or to drugs and he repents, but maybe he still suffers some physical consequences of alcoholism or addiction. This doesn't mean God did not forgive this person, but these physical consequences actually will protect him from falling again in addiction. We did not see David's anger with God, but he accepted the discipline. And who also accepted the discipline? The thief on the cross, on the right hand, when he said to the other thief, we were rightly judged. Our judgment and our execution was right. Many times when we are forgiven, we don't want to suffer any consequence. And if we suffer any consequence, actually we become angry with God. But part of taking the responsibility is to accept the consequences of our sins. So to summarize, there are five points about the rebuke of Nathan. Number one, the blindness of David. Number two, how Nathan rebuked David by appealing to the love of God. Number two, by uh, revealing the sin clearly without labeling David. Number three, by warning him of the consequences. Then we saw the repentance of David as an example to how repentance should be. Then number four, we saw the forgiveness of God. It was immediate and complete. And last point, we saw there are some consequences were not removed with the repentance. These consequences helped David not to fall again, as it will help all of us not to fall again. I hope this lesson about Nathan rebuke and David's repentance encourage all of us to examine ourselves, lest we are blind to any sin in our life, and let us follow the example of David in repentance, so we may receive the immediate and the complete forgiveness of God. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.